Welcome back to Babylon 5 versus Deep Space 9, the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. This is Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from the Southland on the line. How you doing today, Matt? Doing all right after being introduced to the techno mages and the Drazi. <laughs> you weren't introduced to the Drazi. You've seen them many times before. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're not like important in season one, but they're like all over the place. Oh, they're like in the background? Yeah, I mean, I think Adrazi fought in the Mutai in TKO, in Deathwalker, when the League of Non-Aligned Worlds is, you know, showing up to try and take the Deathwalker into custody, Adrazi ship shows up, stuff like that. They're not, they haven't been very important, though, I, but they, they are one of the major powers in the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, although using the term power to describe them is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, they don't sound that important to me. <laughs> you'll uh, you'll come to know and love the Drazi as we go on. So uh, in this episode, we're covering uh, Geometry of Shadows, which first premiered on the 16th of November, 1994. And we're covering uh, the DS9 episode, Second Skin, which is uh, season three, episode five, which uh, first premiered on the 24th of October, 1994. And this episode of Babylon 5 is the one with math wizards. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of hated the Technomages when I first saw this episode, Matt. What were your feelings on the Technomages? It's kind of like, what if Gandalf showed up on your space station? Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's about all I could get from it. But it's like Gandalf with, you know, science and technology, Matt. It's it's totally different. Yeah, but even, even the science part was kind of far-fetched. I, I don't really... It didn't really fit very well. Like, they did, like, equations and... uh like a demon code on Malari's uh, computer. <laughs> like, what, what is this? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you can just do science fiction, but if you call it magic, like he legit gave Malari uh, malware on his computer, <laughs> he called it magic. <laughs> you, you're telling me you've never gotten a demon code, Matt. I mean, I, I mean, I have, but geez, it's like, I, I don't think of it as magic. And If it's a relief to you or any of the listeners, uh, the Techno Mages don't show up again in the main show, if I recall correctly. However, they uh, become a very big deal in a couple of the spinoffs. Yeah, I think there's like books dedicated to, I'm sure. Yeah, there, there's a whole trilogy. It's called the Techno Mage Trilogy. I'm never going to read it. It's not called Lord of the Rings? No, it's called the Techno Mage Trilogy, man. Okay. I will say that I, uh, I because of uh, one techno mage in particular on the spinoff show Crusade uh, named Galen, I've become a little more fond of the techno mages in general. But still, it's a little silly. Well, hit us with the A plot, Bob. All right, I'm, I'll, I'll do better, man. I'll hit you with the A, B, and C plot. All right. So uh, in the A plot, the techno mages gather in numbers at Babylon Five, which is an ill omen. And they are planning to depart known space, but Malari, his ambitions inflamed by getting recruited by Lord Rifa into Lord Rifa's Young Turks cadre in uh, the uh, Centauri Republic, is seeking an endorsement from the Technomage Elric, as did the first Centauri Emperor. Then in the B-plot, we have Ivanova, freshly promoted, trying to mediate between the ritual struggle of the green and the purple Drazi. And then in the C-plot, it wouldn't be a Garibaldi spotlight episode if he wasn't angsty and regretful about something. Yeah, that's the truth. Very angsty Garibaldi in this episode. I do want to point out, though, thanks to the comic book, I already had Ivanova's promotion ruined for me. 
screw you, Matt. That comic still takes place before this episode. <laughs> and what what episode are we in? Oh, we're in episode three. That's right. Episode three of season two. Okay. Just checking. That All story right. takes place between episode two and episode three, except for the first issue, which takes place before it. So, just 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 reminding you that you you know, pretty good plot point there ruined for me by the comic book. Just throwing it out there. I hate you so much. So, uh, more much more important question to pose: um, green or purple, Matt? I'm gonna go with green because in 1994 it was all about the Green Ranger and the Power Rangers. Man, I uh, I was excited that we agreed on something, but then you had to go and ruin it. I guess I'm on Team Purple now. Like, there wasn't a Purple Power Ranger, Bob. There was a Green Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm on Team Purple, Matt. Lots of world building in this episode. We have the Centauri, the Drazi, and the Technomage development. There's so much to keep up with. What do you think about the Centauri and like Londo growing in prestige at this point? He's kind of uh, one of the cool guys now on the Centauri, thanks to his... Uh, his, his, his assistance in destroying that uh, Narn outpost. Yeah, yeah. I Even though I didn't really like uh, the Techno Mages, um, I didn't mind them as much this time through, but the first time I watched this, I really didn't like them. But I did sort of appreciate the kind of uh, ominousness of Elric's prophecy to Malari, you know, basically prophesizing that he's going to become Space Hitler. That was, uh, that was uh, pretty unnerving. I appreciate it. The Techno Mages showing up seemed kind of pointless I mean, it's just a bad omen. Is that all it is? Well, I think it's kind of like a way to demonstrate how the galaxy is changing with the with the sh- the sort of oncoming of the shadows. So I think that's kind of like the main narrative purpose of it. I mean, I, you know, clearly JMS likes the idea because he goes back to it in Crusade, and you know, he lets somebody write a whole trilogy about it in the, the spinoffs, but. I think it's like on the one hand it's an idea he actually does like, but on the other hand it's kind of the main point for the overall uh, Babylon Five narrative. It's to show like how the galaxy is sort of bracing or preparing or changing uh, in preparation for the shadows. So are the Techno Mages going off to like get ready for the shadows, or are they just going to leave and go somewhere else where they don't have to deal with it? They're just going to go somewhere else where they don't have to deal with it on the sort of justification that. If their if their magic technology were to fall into the shadows' hands, that would be you know so bad as to not be conscionable. Even though their magic technology could probably help defeat the shadows, right? I mean, knowing what I know about the shadows, I, I I'm not very impressed by what the techno mages' demon code could do against them. I mean, I don't know about the shadow. I don't know much about the shadows, but could could they not put those little like those little demon things that they put on the back of Malari? Those could they not use those to help fight? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it would be that helpful, but you know, you get the impression that JMS and and uh, Sherrod didn't think it might be. And they can like blow up cameras just by looking at them. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you know the shadow ships will just be totally flying blind. They got mad skills. Like, are they really just like magicians? They don't really have like powers that can really do any anything other than just like screw around with your head a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that basically seems to be it. I mean. What, like, probably, even if you believe magic is real, probably, what, like, 60% of magic is just con artistry anyway? Right, so I guess that must be, like, while they're, while they're running away, because they're, they're going to be like, oh, we need the techno mages, the techno mages are like, oh, shit, we're actually going to show something that, you know, we can't do. <laughs> yeah, I like that. They actually have to, they actually have to run to avoid being revealed as the frauds they are. Yeah. I think that, I think that sounds better. I'm just going to pretend like that's it since they don't come back. 
<laughs> well, they, I mean, one does in Crusade and in Lost Tales. Well, he's like the real one. He's the real magician, the real, the real techno mage. He, he's sort of like the outcast. He, he's fun, though. Well, anyway, so this was the first appearance of Lord Rifa, right? Yeah, I've never seen that guy before. I can honestly okay. say I've never seen that one. I know I've never said I've never seen the Drazi, but I've never seen Lord Rifa before. Un- unlike with the Drazi, I believe you about this one. Are we going to see more of him? Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll become uh, Londo's kind of, or Malari's main point of contact with uh, the Centauri court. Um, so are they going to make him like a cool guy's club where they're going to like try to take over the Emperor? once, Or once the Emperor's like dead, they're going to like all throw their name in the hat for Emperor? Is that what's going on? It seems like they're more just trying to recruit uh, Malari as a part of that clique or a part of that cadre, but Malari thinks he can sort of politic his way to become the uh, major the major candidate for Emperor. I don't necessarily think Lord Rifa himself has designs on making Malari the Emperor just yet, but you know, I don't I don't think he would be hostile to it depending on how things play out. Sounds like Malari needs to pay a trip to Morden. <laughs> Oh man, oh man. I um, one thing I did like, uh, like I said, even though I don't really like the concept of the techno mages, the guy who plays the techno mage, uh, Michael Ansara, he's really good. We saw him just recently as Kang on DS Nine, and uh, we may know him from our childhood as the voice of Mister Freeze on Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I know I recognize the voice. I just cannot place it to save my life. I'm like, I know that's, I know that voice. That that yeah, it was definitely Mister Freeze from the animated series. He has a good voice for prophecy. Tell me, there's a scene in this episode where Garibaldi's like playing around with his, his PPG gun or whatever, and he's like taking it apart, putting it back together, and he was like sitting in the dark. And this is where you mm-hmm. got the angsty piece from our, from our C plot. Uh, was he contemplating suicide in that scene, you think? Sure seemed like it. Yeah. I mean, it's like they didn't go like full force and be like, you know, putting the gun to his head, but still, it just seemed odd that. He, uh, he feels like he, he has really let down the station and let his guard down, and it's kind of a crappy chief of security when he gets shot by his own dude in the back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can kind of see where he's coming from on that, but then on the other hand, when you look at the guy who's uh, poised to take over for him, Lou Welch, you're kind of like, well, Garibaldi, you're still clearly the best choice, man. <laughs> Lou Welch. One interesting thing I hadn't considered about this episode uh, until we rewatched it is, you know, I've talked before about how in some ways the commander of Babylon 5 functions more like the Earth ambassador than they do the commander of the station. And that'll that'll kind of weirdly get played up a lot more in season five as a little bit of foreshadowing. But in this episode with Ivanova's promotion and her getting tasked with mediating between the Drazi, it almost kind of establishes her as like the aide to the Earth ambassador in the same way that you had like Lanier, Kato, and Natoth as like the aides to their respective ambassadors. And I probably should have thought of that before, but I thought that was a kind of interesting parallelism. That's actually a really smart point. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all until this episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, that does kind of make sense because uh, Sheridan's like, you know, I ain't got time for this. Go handle it, Ivanova. Kind of the same way that uh, Mallory first gets uh, Kato to go and try to figure out what's going on with the techno mage. Yeah, yeah. All that was missing was uh, for Sheridan to give her the instruction in season one that both Malari and Jakar gave to their aides, which was don't give away the home world. So I, I will say the thing that probably disturbed me the most about this episode is that Sheridan thinks pulp is the best part of orange juice, and that's just deeply psychopathic. I think I might have to 
withdraw everything I've good I've said about Sheridan. Maybe Sinclair actually is the much better ch- character. Yeah, Pulp's disgusting. Sheridan's like weird about what goes in his body. Like I, I, that's it's, it's like I know more about the fictional man's eating habits than I probably know about yours, which is just weird. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm a private person, Matt. All all you need to know is that I got really drunk last night and showed up an hour late to record. He's talked about eating stuff in the, the last three episodes at least once. You know, Matt, I can still taste both the whiskey and the onion rings from last night. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, what did you think of the drowsy resolution at the end? How uh, Vonova handles it? Oh, I, I liked that it kind of... The, the, the sort of joke was Ivanova was trying to be diplomatic, but then when she actually decided to get aggressive and, uh, you know, do like what do a solution that would work for her in a military context, it actually worked in the diplomatic context. I think it took too long to get there, though. I think that most people could have figured out that if they just would have taken the scarf or whatever, they could have been the ones that were the leader. I don't know why it took to the end of the episode to figure that out, but it is a TV show. so. I, w- I was going to say that that's uh, nonsense and sounds like the ramblings of a purple sympathizer. That was back when I thought I was on the Team Green, but then you pulled out the thing about the Green Ranger, and so now I'm a purple uh, sympathizer, and uh, I don't know how to insult you, so I'll just say typical of a green team. There, there I, hope, I hope uh, survival of the fittest takes you out. Yeah. Do you feel like there was some kind of ham-fisted thing going on there when they started talking about the flags, uh, about a country's flag, or, or, or and how it's the same thing? They were trying to make it more than it was. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of liked it because, <clears throat> I mean, basically as I understood it, which I might, I wasn't paying that closely close attention, but as I understood it, the idea is that the Drazi do this for a year and then the side that rules uh dictates policy for the next five years and you know that i'm honestly that doesn't seem more irrational than the current political system makes sense also uh you say you're green but you don't even see the importance of being green you're just like oh it's not like a nation's flag it's not important (laughs) it's really not all right we need your hungover ass to go on to ds9 bob (laughs) god so in the A plot, I'm actually not hungover. I'm just oh. can still taste the whiskey and the onion rings. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th- this is the one where Kira becomes a Cardassian. It's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. In the A plot, a group of Cardassians kidnap Kira and they try to convince her that she is uh, Ilanya Gimmer, a deep undercover agent of the uh, Obsidian Order. Maybe I am hungover if I can't say Obsidian Order. And then in the B plot, uh, Garrick must overcome his fear of assassination and take Sisko and Odo to Cardassia Prime to rescue Kira. Good episode overall. It was actually a really, really good episode. It was probably one of the better ones we've seen. And strangely, most of the really good episodes of DS9 center around Kira. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you're past your major Karen slander. Yeah, that was all season one. Season one Kira was like that. But What are the other episodes you're thinking about when you say that? Any means necessary. What's the one with uh, they take the Cordassian guy and interrogate him? Oh yeah, that one still kind of makes me. I think it's called Duet. That one duet, still that's makes, it, yeah. makes me a little cranky. Yeah, Duet. There's just some very good like Kira-centered episodes that have happened between her first appearance in season one that I couldn't stand, and then what we get in season two and now in season three. If it'll just keep 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 going that way. I do love the trope that, you know, Cisco is as respectful as he can be of the Bajorans and Kira and Odo for that matter, but he's uh, always very happy to blackmail Quark or Garrick to do anything. Yeah, I mean, respect is earned, bro. 
I don't know that that actually answers the comment, but whatever. Respect is earned, bro. <laughs> Makes sense. It just sounds like it would fit with what you just said, but I don't think it does. But that's it's what someone like that would say. Yeah. So, I mean, this episode is a really kind of strong television version of what you could call like a Cartesian doubt narrative where like a character has to entertain like radical doubt or radical skepticism about their reality. You could think of like The Prisoner as a, a great example of it or Total Recall as another example of it, the movie. But I like in this one that the reveal comes when Kira realizes that the point of Intech deceiving her uh, about being you know really a secret Obsidian Order agent isn't anything to do with her, but it's about entrapping uh, Legate Gamor, the father of the agent Kira's supposed to be. And it's kind of an interesting corrective to the Cartesian doubt narratives, which occasionally can be kind of pretty egoistic and pretty solipsistic. There's like a Hitchcock film I love called The Lady Vanishes. The entire the entire time, like people are telling the protagonist that this uh, woman she thought she saw never was on the train. And when I watch that movie, may maybe I'm just kind of like, you know, a bad person or like, I just don't have the courage of my convictions. But like, you know, if 20 people told me, okay, you didn't see that, I would begin to think, okay, I probably actually didn't see that and let it go. Right. And what's even funnier about this episode though, too, is as far as being like a Cartesian doubt narrative is that the viewer, even though I've watched DS9 like a million times, I was still asking myself if Kira was really a Cardassian. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Does she actually wait? Huh? I mean, because they did such a good job of, like, the setup and everything. And, like, I had no clue how they were getting out of it. Like, I, I I like the switch at the end, but it just shows how, like, it shows the extremes that the Obsidian Order will actually go to. Try to, you know, convict somebody of treason, disloyalty. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a really well done episode. Um, I, I really like the performance of, uh, I mean, the Nana Visitors, Kira, was great. But also the the guys playing Intech and uh, Legate Gamora were also really good at their jobs. And uh, I was going to bemoan uh, us not seeing Legate Gamora again, especially given the bond that he and Kira develop. But apparently he is in a future episode, and I just forgot about it. Oh, so you don't know. Where, where, where do we see him again? Do you remember? I feel like that would be a spoiler, Matt. Uh, oh, well. I don't remember. Like I've told you before, like my Cardassians all kind of run together because. Wow, know. that's uh, how very Bajoran of you, Matt. Yeah, it's very Bajoran. <laughs> Although my Bajorans all kind of run together too. So that wow, how very Cardassian of you, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would uh, bemoan us not getting to see Intech again, but the way Garrett kind of cold-bloodedly and amusingly killed him was uh, was pretty fun. Yeah, Garrett has like no issue killing people, and I'd probably never want to get on his bad side ever. <laughs> I mean, that's because he's a that's because he's a spy, Matt. Yeah, he is a spy. Did you notice all the all the duality in this episode? Like uh, Kira thinks she's a Cardassian. Cisco mm -hmm. and the Defiant act like they're a uh, some kind of freighter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, some some allied species yeah. freighter. Garrick's a tailor, thinks he's a spy. No, Gar I'm sorry, Garrick's a spy, acts like a tailor, and then uh, there's just so much. Uh, hidden stuff going on in this this year's a twink acts like an alpha yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's probably true <laughs> just a lot of that in this episode yeah yeah no it's it, I, I hadn't i hadn't thought about it in those terms but yeah the the level of kind of like impersonation and mis misdirection is pretty fun on that level so it, it's explained at the end of the episode that kira had to endure like surgery to look like a cardassian 
-hmm. So does this mean there are probably like surgeons who specialize in making you an alien species that you want to be? Like, I think we've talked about this before. So if I want to be a Bajoran, I can go to like the surgeon who specializes in making people Bajorans and gives them that nose thing. Well, I think cosmetically you can, and it's pretty easy. I mean, I think we see Starfleet doctors do it pretty regularly, like for different undercover missions and such, just like, you know, like on on a starship sick bay or on, um, I forget what they call the doctor's office on DS9, but at the doctor's office on DS9. So it seems pretty easy. Uh, It might be more complicated if you like want to fool like a gene scan or something, and they might have to do like a level of like genetic manipulation or like genetic injection. That's probably more comfortable, but just yeah, just as a superficial thing, it seems like it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, I feel like you get a really good like e Hollywood show out of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it 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 didn't involve surgery, but we did just see uh, on the other week of uh, Lower Decks, Nurse Tindy uh, really makes Mariner uh, go in green face, yeah. and so it makes it makes you wonder if like in the star in the Star Trek universe, are there taboos about like you know, impersonating other species or is certain impersonating one species impersonating a certain other species. Is that considered taboo? I don't know. Also this surgery must not be as like evasive as like it would be now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, Oh yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like Kira doesn't cure. I, I would freak out if I woke up and I had all those like bone structures in my head and like look like, and I could just pull it off, you know, like it'd have to be, it'd be freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, you imagine like, being transformed into a Cardassian with like the kind of weird bone structure might be a little bit more involved than like surgically, pa- you know, a human like surgically passing as a Klingon or a Bajoran or a Romulan. Yeah. And going back to what you said earlier about a, a, a scan of your, your DNA or whatever to see what you actually are. I think Bashir actually does that at the end of yeah, the episode yeah. to check. But I read originally that they, they weren't, they were going to leave it uh, open because Bashir was not going to be able to 100% identify if Kira was actually a uh, Bajoran, and they were going to leave <laughs> that kind of open-ended. That, that could have been fun, honestly. I mean, it, on the one hand, it it might be kind of hard to justify, like in a techno babble sense, but yeah, it, it's it's it sounds fun. And then uh, originally, though, in this episode, we were supposed to have O'Brien as the Cardassian, but they couldn't find a plausible way for Kiko and a Cardassian to have a human baby. Like. Aww. Because, <laughs> so, and I'm pretty sure Cole Meany would have hated the makeup because that dude, like, he used to get mad when he had to, like, sit in the chair for five minutes when I read. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think he could, I mean, because clearly if O'Brien is going to be a Starfleet officer, right, like, he, they're, they're going to have to do, like, some pretty deep gene work on him to make it where he evades detection of, like, you know, Starfleet medical. Yeah. And, like, a lot deeper, I think, than you would have to... Like, if Kira really was a Cardassian, like, you know, the Bajoran resistance is not a a very technologically advanced people in a pretty, you know, situation of occupation and scarcity. Like, it's pretty plausible that, like, Kira could skate by undetected in that context. Whereas, presumably, though, if you would send O'Brien in, you would have to do some deep gene work to disguise it. But they're trying to be Bob. They filled out the application. (laughs) They're getting there. They're getting there. Um, speaking of impersonations, um, not that I ever want to deny that uh, Garrick is uh, queer, because obviously Garrick is queer, but he did seem uh, a little thirsty for Cardassian Kira, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, on Thirst Watch, Garrick what, did seem kind of thirsty for Cardassian Kira. It was it was odd. There's something about female Cardassians that's just like, I don't know what it is. 
I mean, uh, you know, for I think for Quark they do a certain something, if you'll recall. Yeah, there. Yeah. So, I, I question for you. You know that thing in the middle of the Cardassian's head. You mean uh, not to use the pejorative term, but the spoon? Whatever it is, yeah. You know that thing. Yes. Yeah. What? What, what do you think about that? What do you think that thing is? I probably should have uh, done some reading on memory alpha and memory beta and offered you some theories, but, you know, I had a lot of whiskey and onion rings last night, Matt. You think that fits in with Thirst Watch somehow? I don't know. Do do reptiles usually use their heads in coitus? I, I tend to think not. <laughs> I the Cardassians are not reptiles. Where do you get that from? They're reptilian-looking, but... I mean, they seem to have some strong reptilian characteristics. They prefer heat. Yeah, I'm just wondering if that thing on their head has anything to do with anything. I mean, I think, you know, any anything can be like an eroticized object. Like, you know, I, I had a really disturbing moment uh, last year when I was like sitting in a cafe and checking out someone and I really decided I really liked the way the strap of their uh, mask uh, fitted across their ear. So I'm just saying anything can be an erotic object. Okay. So <laughs> what the hell? Uh, interesting. I'm just saying you have to you have to move beyond just you know the question of are you going to be a tits or an ass man? Yeah, are you a Matt? Cardassian spoon person? I, some people mo- well might be man. Yeah. Maybe that maybe that's uh, Chief O'Brien's real feelings and he just can't admit it because of the years of combat and you know embittered racism accompanying the combat. <laughs> All right, so let's talk character of the week here for a moment. All right, mine goes to Ivanova. And it mainly has to do with respect for Claudia Christian for working through this episode with a broken foot. Uh, so that's like a real story of backstage or whatever. Yeah, like legit. She like had her foot broke, but instead of them just like writing her off and letting somebody else handle like, you know, fill in or whatever. It was also fun to see her involved actually in a plot that doesn't include telepaths and her Jewish heritage. So props <laughs> to them for that. That's a good point. I just kind of I just kind of take Ivanova for granted as a developed character, but yeah, you're kind of making the point that that maybe comes slower than I I realize because you know I kind of have the benefit of seeing everything with her. Do you think that the reason the epi- the Drazi plot of the Babylon Five episode felt so uh, drawn out to you is that they had to insert the thing where like she breaks her foot, they justify it, she goes back? Yeah, probably. Uh, that 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 does actually make sense and puts credence towards what I was talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. I I never think about backstage things when I'm wa- I'm watching I, I just kind of took it for granted as though this was the gag of the week but that that kind of makes sense because it is a kind of strange and idiosyncratic gag to go for it's also kind of weird too that they've got all this technology and they still put her in like a boot and she has crutches <laughs> well you get the you get the feeling that like a uh, medical technology in Babylon 5 isn't exactly Star Trek medical technology well, they have a they have a damn machine that zaps your energy and can heal gunshot wounds. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but they they don't. It also like takes life energy away from the person who uses it, and so you're not going to pull it out for a broken foot. Yeah, and it's also it's specifically alien technology that they don't fully understand and only have one of. If I was running the station, I'd get a bunch of those people and down below bring them up there and like hook them up to that machine so I could like heal people. Damn, Matt. That's, uh, that's some Nazi shit, bro. I, I I don't even have a joke about that. That's just some straight up Nazi shit. I'm just saying. I mean, it would it would kill two birds with one stone. Jesus, dude, that's <laughs> fucked up. Just kidding. I wouldn't really do that, but you know, just just a thought. Careful with that edge, bro. You might cut yourself. 
Yeah. What if the people in the um, people down below though that are going to commit crimes, that could be one of their like instead of spacing them, they could actually use their body energy to heal people. What are your thoughts on that, Bob? I mean, I'm okay using it as a you know as a form of capital punishment. Apparently, that's how it was originally used, if I remember right, from that late season one episode. But uh, I feel like uh, you know a lot of bleeding hearts are going to have a problem with it. I'm, yeah. I'm still kind of in awe of your like purge the poor. <laughs> My God! Hey, they didn't have to get on the space station. They didn't want to. They could be poor on I mean, Earth. I think they were literally did. They were economically coerced into going to Babylon Five for work, and then the work dried up in a lot of cases. They need. To, they just need to find another job, Bob. There's other jobs on Babylon Five. There don't seem to be that many jobs on Babylon 5. No. It, it seems to be like the contemporary U.S. job market amidst corona. It seems I'm like the limited. Ted Cruz of uh, Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit, man. Newt Gingrich just thought you should make poor kids uh, do janitorial work. Oh, God. You, you, you think uh, <laughs> you should drain the life out of poor kids for the rich. That's some, like, Peter Thiel, like, vampire stuff, bro. Yeah, yeah. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> Just so our listeners know, this this is meant to be satirical. This is not true. I'm not really, I'm, I don't really believe that. Just to... Matt had the misfortune of reading Jonathan Swift's immodest <laughs> proposal in the tenth grade, and it arrested his development. Yeah. Uh, all right. So episode of the week, Bob. Mine goes. Oh, to I, didn't, I didn't even get to see my uh, say. My oh character. yeah, yeah. No, oh yeah, cause nobody cares. Garrett. Uh, Garrett. <laughs> Garrett is great. Garrick is great in this episode. Yes, I agree. And then uh, the most uh, contentious episode of the week uh, we'll ever have. I just don't know how I can agree with you on this one, Matt. Yeah, it's Second Skin. It's one of the, yeah, Second Skin's a better episode this week. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I kid. You're, of course, right. Yeah, I mean, there's just no doubt. I mean, the, the B5 episode was fun. It wasn't anything like, in the name, too, Geometry of Shadows. It's because the Technomages do math. Is that what it's like, Geometry? Yeah, because when you first see it, you think it's going to be something involving the shadows, but it that they're more the they're kind of a secondary or tertiary factor in the episode. Yeah, they're they're like yeah, I I, I didn't get the name of the episode, and I figured maybe you had some insight, but pondered it. But yeah, I think it's mostly supposed to be like a you know a description of the techno mages method. Yeah, they use geometry and magic. No shade on JMS. Babylon Five is a great achievement, but. As you'll see as we keep going, the man has a fondness for pretentious episode titles. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of pretentious episode titles, next week we have B5, a distant star. Wait, it's not a distance star, Matt? Hold on, uh, that a typo? Let me make sure. Yeah, I'm just giving, I'm, it's a distant star. Just, I'm just okay. giving you crap for a typo. Well, sorry, a distant and, star. Uh, I, th- I think that's, if I recall this one right, it's a pretty cool world building one you meet one of uh, sheridan's old colleagues yeah like his buddy flies back and like his big old starship and... yeah and you'll you you will love who plays him it's great and then uh ds9 the abandoned which one is that again do you remember? directed by avery brooks apparently quark finds a baby <laughs> oh okay i'm down with that and jake starts dating like a dabo girl or something oh yeah H- had they already been hinting around that uh no i don't think so I think he, maybe it's mentioned like he had the hot for hots for one but he wasn't dating her oh yeah yeah and we we might have skipped some relevant season two episodes about that yeah 
All right, so that's next week. So, Well, this has been uh, the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, although not so great uh, this week because uh, Matt's uh, dark, anti-poor ideology and uh, my sluggishness because of uh, overindulgence. But uh, we'll be back next week with more energy, better show. This has been Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine. I'm Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Eat the rich.